Matthew 6, beginning at verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. When therefore you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your alms may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. And when you pray, you are not to be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. And whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance in order to be seen fasting by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you may not be seen fasting by men but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will repay you. When we started the Sermon on the Mount going through that section, we've noted that the purpose of Jesus in this sermon was to show what true and undefiled religion consists of. Much like what James chapter 1 says, and I will refer to later on. Jesus was clear in the earlier part of chapter 5 where he said, I came not to destroy the law of the prophets. I came to fulfill or to confirm that law. The Pharisees were always trying to trap Jesus, trying to find where he might be inconsistent with the law of Moses. And if he was inconsistent with the law of Moses, then he wasn't a true prophet, and they could dispense with him. But Jesus would always beat them at their own game. He's God. He knows the law better than they can ever conceive of. And Jesus says to these same people, whoever teaches someone to not keep those commandments will be considered less in the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on to say those uh, striking words, he says, in verse uh, 20 of chapter 5, where he says specifically, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Scribes and the Pharisees were the teachers of the law. But Jesus knew their hearts. They were uh, hypocritical men 
That's why he refers to them as hypocrites. He called them whitewashed tombs. He knew their hearts. Their hearts were darkened. And they were always trying to practice righteousness. And he says, if your righteousness is anything like them, you're not going to make it into the kingdom of heaven. And then he sets forth uh, some of the things that uh, they did. And that they were guilty of uh, adultery of the heart. They were guilty of murder of the heart, even though they may not be guilty of the outward manifestations of that. And so we see that in chapter 6, verse 1, we see Jesus saying, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your fathers in heaven. Now, we see that righteousness is something that we perceive to be righteous. Not that what we perceive to be righteous to actually be righteous, but what we think to be righteous. Because he says, if you practice your righteousness uh, so that it's showy before men, you're not going to be rewarded by God, my Father. And then he's already said, if your righteousness doesn't exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, the question is, were they righteous? Well, no, they weren't righteous. They lacked righteousness, even though they thought they were righteous. So it doesn't matter what we think is righteous. What matters is, are we really righteous the way God says we're to be righteous? And the only true righteousness is that which comes down from heaven, right? Given to men through the Lord Jesus Christ and manifested in the lives of those who are regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Pharisees, Jesus said, were hypocrites. And what is a hypocrite but one who practices vain religion? They profess to be a Christian, putting it in modern terms here, they profess to be a Christian, but they're not really a Christian. They're not genuine. Um, We see that true righteousness proceeds from one who has given their life to Jesus, believed in him, to the salvation of their, their soul, trusting only in him for their salvation, And then, because the Holy Spirit comes into their life, then they're bearing fruit that manifests the fact that they genuinely belong to Jesus. Now, those are the righteous. But Jesus is dealing with those uh, that think that they are righteous by their religious activities. But he says, if all your religious activity is like the Pharisees, then you're not going to be in heaven. And so what we see here, their righteousness, the righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes that Jesus is referring to here, proceeds from a heart that is not right towards God. Their motive is what is wrong. Now, we've already seen that Jesus has condemned the mere externalism of the Pharisees. The fact that they go through the actions of religious service, but uh, they, go, they 
carry out the feast, they pray and things like this, but then they abuse people. We've looked at Isaiah chapter 1, how God is upset with their worship uh, because they, uh, even though they go through the externalism of it, they really don't belong to him. How many of those Israelites uh, in the Old Testament were part of national Israel? They were the covenant people of God. But what does 1 Corinthians 3 say, uh, 10 say about them? It says that all of Israel passed through the Red Sea and were baptized in the Red Sea, meaning they were part of the covenant community. They were, in that sense, the people of God. But then it goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 10, it says God was not pleased with most of them, and most of them were idolaters. And we read in, in Hebrews 3 that the majority of them fell in the wilderness. They didn't trust God. They really didn't believe in him. They had impure motives. They didn't worship God the way they ought to worship. So Jesus has condemned externalism in its activities, if that's all it is. And now he says, I'm going to go to the heart, and he says, I'm going to condemn a type of worship that's not really a worship of me. It's a worship of yourself. And that's what it consists of. And so here he says, uh, true righteousness, as I've already said, consists of trusting only in Jesus and having a heart that's been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And that righteousness proceeds from a sincere heart, uh, godly motives, motives that really do want to please God. They're not concerned what other people think. They're just more concerned about what God thinks, and that's what our worship ought to be. Not what other people think about our worship, but what God thinks about our worship. This is why Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 20, that the Pharisees are doomed to hell, uh, and they will not enter the kingdom of, of heaven. And jumping ahead to Matthew 23, let me just uh, quote what Jesus said in Matthew 23, verse 15, where he said to the scribes and the Pharisees there, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! Because you travel about on sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. That's a hard statement that Jesus says to the teachers of the law. And that's why he said in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, If your righteousness is like the Pharisees, you're doomed. If you have the attitude like the Pharisees, you're doomed. So we have to be concerned about our attitude in worship and, and religious service. The scribes and the Pharisees misunderstood the true meaning of the law of Moses. As I've said, they had made it external, merely. And while they may not be committed to outright adultery or outright murder, they were guilty of adultery of the heart. A murder in the heart, Jesus said. So, in our text, in Matthew 6, what we're going to do, we're going to take a look at verses 1 through 5. We're going to skip the Lord's Prayer and take that up next week because really it's an interlude here because he resumes in verse 16 about certain things. So, uh, what we're going to do is take a look at the three areas that Jesus had problems with, with the, 
of the way that the Pharisees and the scribes were conducting alms, giving, the way they prayed, and the way they fasted. And then next week we'll deal with the Lord's Prayer. Now, what's evident as you read through this is that Jesus is dealing with the motives behind our so-called righteous acts. We see in the scriptures where we are told in Second Samuel, or Samuel, it says the Lord looks at the heart, not at the outward appearance of man. It says that the Lord does not desire burnt offerings and sacrifices, but he wants obedience. That's what the Lord wants. He looks at the motives behind religious activities. Now, granted, those religious activities he is sanctioning. Almsgiving was an important aspect of Old Testament life. Very important. In fact, the... uh, uh, the Jews saw that as the righteousness and how people dealt with uh, dealing with the poor. And that's what almsgiving is, is dealing with a ministry to the poor. What Jesus is saying in all these three aspects, almsgiving, and praying, and in fasting, he says, if you're going through the actions and your motives are impure, then you're wasting your time. You're actually condemning yourself, he says. If your motives are wrong, you're condemning yourself. <clears throat> Moreover, he says, if you have mo- uh, what's happening here is, uh, just take a look at what's going on, uh, especially here in uh, verse 1 of chapter 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men, to be noticed by them. So you're going through the actions to be noticed by men. That's your motive. And if that's your motive, it's not acceptable to God. And I trust that we we're all will get the point that Jesus is making, and it's very important that we get the point, the main point. Because the last thing that you and I want to be engaged in is vain worship where God is not accepting our worship. That's the last thing we would ever want. Pure and undefiled religion, as James 1 says, for example, is ministering to uh, the widows and orphans. These are people in the Scripture in Scripture that are set up as those in the greatest need because they, need, they had no one to help them. And so they were very dependent upon other people. And he says, pure and undefiled religion is ministry to the widows and the orphans. However, even James 1 needs to be understood in the framework of what Jesus is saying here. Because he says, if you have the wrong attitude of ministering to the widows and orphans, if you do it out of the motive to be seen of men, God says it's it's of no value to him. Jesus says you have your full reward. We'll talk about that in a moment. But he says you have your full reward, but it's not God's reward. And that's, that's a terrible thing. To have a full reward, but then God say, it's not my reward. And so Jesus is emphasizing how to carry out three important 
facets of religious life. Almsgiving, minister to the poor, praying how you should pray, and then third, how you should go about fasting. These were all important aspects of worship. Now, what exactly, again, is Jesus condemning? He is condemning those who make a show of it in their religious acts. And anyone who makes a show of this to be seen of men, what does Jesus call them? Hypocrites. Now, and the reason why he calls them uh, a hypocrite, we've got to ask ourselves, what is a hypocrite in a biblical sense? Well, a hypocrite is a person who seeks, who is seeking to serve God, but who has motives that are not actually honoring God. It's a person who wants to be known of men just how pious they really are. Jesus says, that's the hypocrite. You're really not out to glorify God. What's your main concern? To bring glory to yourself. To be seen of men as being pious, being religious. Jesus says, that's hypocrisy because you're giving the pretense that you're worshiping God when you're not really worshiping God, you're worshiping yourself. Because your attitude is you want to be seen of men doing these things. So it's not worship of God, that's the hypocrisy. Jesus hated this. And he says, that kind of person has no reward with God whatsoever. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying here in verse 1 of chapter 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. To be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your father. So when we do it so others can see, for example, how generous we are, then the whole attitude is we want men to see that we are these great benefactors, that we have this great ministry to the poor of society. And and therefore, he says, that is hypocrisy, because you're really not so much concerned about the poor as you are about the people thinking you are such a wonderful guy in giving so much money to the poor. Now, Jesus makes it very clear that this great sin of the Pharisees is one that we got to guard against, and we got to guard against it in the 21st century. See, the grave sin is the desire to be recognized of men just how good a Christian we profess to be. See, that's what Jesus is getting at. And we want to be sure that others recognize just how good we are. And we want others to recognize just how dedicated we are to God. uh, So that they see us praying. uh, To see the types of prayers that we make. And that that somehow impresses them. And... Jesus is saying that same attitude is when you go about fasting, and fasting was an important part of, of Old Testament life and New Testament life, by the way. We don't practice it so much as we ought to, and, and we really should. We'll talk about what the meaning of fasting is in a moment. 
But Jesus is condemning the pharisaical attitude of how we go about it, the the motives. So, how were the poor aided in society? Well, I've already mentioned the widows and the orphans. Uh, Almsgiving was a vital part of of religion. Uh, We have seen as what James 1 says, this is pure and undefiled religion, ministering to the widows and the orphans. Uh, But how I do that is crucial. Now, if it's done for the purpose of being seen of men, then God doesn't accept it. And here's what was happening. People would go into the synagogue. This is what Jesus says. Look at what he says. He says, when therefore you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the street corners, that they may be honored by men. So here's what was actually happening. When somebody wanted to give these alms, they would actually have a trumpet sound. Can you imagine that? A big horn blows. That's going to get everybody's attention, right? It's going to get everybody's attention in the synagogue. You blow a trumpet on the street corner, it's going to get everybody's attention and go, what, what? Uh, Rabbi Mose is about to give a great offering to the poor, and he wants you to see it. That's why he had the trumpet blow. That's why he did it on the busy street corner, so that everybody would be seen. Oh, Rabbi Mose, what a wonderful guy this guy is. Look how much he's given to the poor. Well, he gave two uh, talents of silver to the poor today. And he sounded a trumpet so everybody knows that he gave two talents of silver to the poor. About a year ago, what's odd is I'm not in the custom of going through and finding religious programs on cable TV. But on some occasion, I've looked at one. And the only reason why I think maybe I did that is maybe the Lord wanted this sermon illustration today. That's all I can say. Money was being raised. Well, I, I didn't even mention the name. They were found guilty in the 1980s of great abuse in Christian ministry. It was a big public scandal, and they were brought down, lost the whole ministry, was imprisoned for five years. Actually, were given 20-year sentence for defrauding people. Spent five years in prison, but as of 2006, back on TV. Well, what I just turned on captured my attention because the 12-foot statue of Jesus that weighed 21 tons was being raised up in the middle of the ministry uh, square and the TV cameras were getting on it, and they were hoisting it up. The, the, the sculpture had just finished the 12-foot Jesus. And they were, it was a big to-do of being sure that nothing was broken, and he made it dramatic. They'd be sure, oh, 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 don't drop it. Don't have the head of Jesus crash on the ground. And I'm sitting here going like this. And uh, <clears throat> the purpose of putting that idol... And that's what it was. 
up in the middle of that was so that the resurrected Jesus could look over the whole ministry. And the one who was the head of the organization was saying, when he saw the statue, he said, it is the most perfect and moving statue of Jesus' image in the world, in the quote. That's what he said. And all those who donated to the idol, I mean the statue, they had their names engraved on the base of the idol statue. And the lady who gave the most money was in the VIP section. Why is there a VIP section in a Christian ministry anyway? But they were in the VIP section. And as the idol was being raised, everybody, it is tears and just crying going on. And uh, did you know if you give a $100 donation, and I've been to the website, if you give a $100 donation, you get a miniature idol of the resurrected Jesus. And if you give $200, you don't get one. You get three miniature idols. And you know what it's called? You know what that, that donation, the $200 donation, it's called the Crazy About Jesus donation. That's what they name it. The Crazy About Jesus donation. And you get three idols in the mail about that size. The whole proceedings was staged. It was on camera. And uh, the, the head of the organization, he went up and... Uh, bowed down at the uh, the idol, put his hands on the foot and the leg of Jesus, looked up into the face of Jesus, and began to pray, and he dedicated the idol, I mean the statue, to God. Right there on TV. And, it, and then the camera would pan out to all the people having their arms stretched out towards this great statue of Jesus. You don't think that the Pharisees are still with us today, who want to be seen of men, of how great money they can raise, and to be seen of men to pray before thousands watching on cable TV. They're still with us. You see, the sin is still there. Now, it is clear from this passage that Jesus is saying, if that is all your motive is, to be seen of men, then he says, you don't have, you have your reward in full, but it's not God's reward. Now, some may say, I'm not guilty of doing that kind of thing, of uh, praying before a statue or I uh, want to be recognized of men, just how much money I gave to this statue. Well, let me issue a challenge to us all. I want you to try this sometime. I'm serious. I want you to do something that really is a good deed, but then I don't want you to tell anybody about it. And I want you to take note of the struggle that goes on in your heart wanting to tell somebody what you did. Because you see, it's within all of us. It really is within all of us. Uh, 
Because we, we want to be seen, there is a tendency among us all, including myself, you want to be seen of men just how good a Christian you are. Well, brethren, how, how, how different is that? Now, it may not be of the same magnitude of the Pharisees, because where are the Pharisees going to end up? They're going to end up in hell. I'm talking about sincere Christians who are legitimate believers, but have to deal with this sin of pride, of wanting to be seen of men just how religious they are and how good we are. Have you ever done something in terms of service to the church and you didn't get the social recognition of what you did? Have you ever had your feelings hurt over that? That somebody didn't recognize the service that you did for the church? Well, let me ask you something. In principle, how much different is that than what Jesus is talking about? If I get my feelings hurt that someone has not recognized what I've done, that doesn't mean we don't give recognition. But if I'm hurt over that fact, then what was I really looking for? The affirmation of men. You see, that sin is within all of us to a certain degree that we have to guard against. See, that pride is there, ready to raise its ugly head. Now, who did Jesus say to the Pharisees? He said, if if all your righteousness is like that, to want to be seen, want to be recognized in men, you won't make it. And notice what Jesus says. You got your full, your full reward. So what was the reward? Why did Jesus say it was their full reward? Because he says, well, if your motive was to be recognized by men, and once you got recognized by men, that's your reward. You got what you wanted. You got what you wanted. You wanted to be seen as pious, and so people think you're pious. People think you're such a great contributor. People think you're such a holy person. You got what you wanted. But it didn't impress God? No. It didn't impress God at all. In fact, God is angry. See, what a tragedy it is to be dedicated, to be, I'll say, a dedicated religious person, wanting others to see how religious we really are, and then on Judgment Day to hear the terrifying words of Jesus saying, Depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. In speaking about the Judgment Day in Matthew 25, turn to Matthew 25. I want you to notice something about the righteous here. Now, notice Jesus is separating the sheep from the goats. The sheep on the right, the goats on the left. Let's uh, look at verse 33. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, Inherit the kingdom prepared to you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and he gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and he gave me drink. I was a stranger, and he invited me in. Naked, and he clothed me. I was sick, and he visited me. I was in prison, and he came to me. Stop right there for a moment. They did a lot of wonderful things. They really did. This was pure and undefiled religion. Now, I want you to notice the attitude, though, of what the righteous will say when Jesus says this to them. 
verse 38. It says, and when did we, well, verse 37. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison come to you? And he said, to the extent you did to the least of my brothers, you did it to me. Are you, do you catch what's happening? The righteous are at, sort of at loss. Of, why are we being commended for these things? We, we don't remember doing this, Jesus. You catch that? They don't remember doing all these wonderful things to all these people. And Jesus says, well, to the extent you did it to... Harry there when you gave him a ride when he was broken down on the road. Or someone was needing food one day and you heard about it and you sent them food and you said you never thought about it. See, as a Christian, you saw the need and you met the need. Why did you do it? Well, because your heart went out to them. But it, there's nothing about they did it for show, is there? There's no ostentatiousness here of the righteous. And that's what's amazing. They are commended for their actions, and they don't remember doing it. Now, that doesn't mean that we're brain dead. It just goes to show that in the life of the Christian, there are things that, that as a Christian, you will do to others, and you're not keeping a tab. You're not telling everybody, so you know what, what I did. You don't send out a message on Facebook saying what you did uh, to somebody that day or send an email or when the conversation comes up, say, you know, I really did this. No, you just did it because you felt led to do it. You know, even this talking about those um, that have to guard against um, taking notice of the things that they are engaged in, the 70 that were sent out by Jesus had to, be, uh, had to guard themselves against that. I want, to, I want you to turn to uh, Luke chapter 10. Take a look. Luke chapter 10, verses 17 through 20. Now, Jesus has sent out the 70 to preach the gospel of the kingdom. And he has empowered them several things. Gifts of healing and gifts of casting out demons. Okay? And he sent them out to the cities of Israel. Well, look at verse 17. It says, The seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and, and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall injure you. He said, I've given you this power. And they came back rejoicing and said, the demons are subject to us in your name, Jesus. They were impressed. Now, what was Jesus? Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like a great star from heaven. That's why the scripture says, I will, upon this testimony of Peter, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. When the gospel is preached, the forces of darkness don't have a chance. But Jesus, when, he, when they came back rejoicing of all the things that were subject to them, in Jesus' name, what did Jesus say? Verse 20. 
Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Now, think about it. You've been given the power, Daniel, to cast out demons and to do marvelous healings. I'd be excited to be engaged in that kind of work, I would think. And you come back, if you were one of the seven, you come back excited. He says, yeah, I know you're excited because they gave you that power. But be thankful that your name is recorded in heaven. That's what you ought to be excited about. Yeah, but I cast out demons. Well, so... But be thankful you're a part of the kingdom of God. That's what your great concern should be. So the motive is not so much to be engaged in all this wonderful activity as such. Yes, they are, but hey, I'm just glad to be a servant in the kingdom. I'm glad that my name's recorded among the righteous. And so we see here, turning back to Matthew 6, Look at verse 3. Jesus says, But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your your alms may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. Now, Jesus is not necessarily saying that all giving can't be some public aspect. That's not what he's saying. Because in the Old Testament, there were some public displays of giving where God, they brought their gifts in great array before, uh, before all of the nation of Israel. Understand what the point here is. Jesus is looking for the attitude. What is the attitude that I'm having? That's the point. Not to be showing. Not with the attitude I hope others will see. That's what Jesus is condemning. That kind of attitude. And so what Jesus is saying, look, there's a certain value in anonymous giving. Not that to say that all giving must be anonymous, but one of the aspects of anonymous giving is no one will know who gave it. Could you, now, I know Warren Buffett is no professing Christian, but he, he was known in 2008 as giving, as having been a part of the greatest charitable contribution in the history of the world. He gave away 80% of his money, which at the time consisted of $35 billion. But it made public notice, and some reporter asked him, well, do you think God is impressed, Warren? He says, well, I can't say that he wouldn't be. Could you imagine giving away $35 billion and try to do it secretly and make notice, say, look, I want to go to your accountants and say, I I want to get rid of $35 billion. I don't want it really known to the press. How how can I do it? And if I find out you you leak, I'm going to fire you. How am I going to give away $35 billion so no one knows about it? See, the point here is, Don't try to be engaged in it with the purpose of being known as the great philanthropist. It's the attitude. It's not the money as much as it's the attitude behind it. You know, it's... 
when, when it says here, when Jesus says, do your almsgiving in secret, and your Father who is in secret, he will repay you. Look, God sees everything anyway, right? And who are you trying to impress? Anyway, whose concern should, what should our concern be all the time? How can I please God? How can I honor God? And look, what matters is, is not what people think. What matters is what God thinks of me. What God thinks of you. That's what matters. And God, if you do something out of a genuine motive to help others, God says, I've seen it. You did it in secret, but I've seen it. And I will reward you for it. He may reward you for it in this world, but then it may be on Judgment Day that you get the reward. When he finally says to you, you know what? You did minister to someone. Enter to the joy of your Lord. You ministered to Jesus. You ministered to me on that day. And then you're rewarded because publicly, because all of everybody that's ever lived is going to be there. You know this idea of the only one that you and I should be concerned of, of what people think about us, is what God thinks about us. You know why you should be the best employee in your company if you work for someone? What does the scripture say? Working to work as unto God, not as unto men, says Colossians. Don't be a man pleaser, trying to be impressive to others. Do a good job. Why do you do a good job? Well, you want to do a good job to help out the employer, but you do a good job because what does Jesus say? Who do you really work for? Jesus. Because Jesus goes on to say, you work as unto God, not as unto men. And so you do it, you do the best that you can because that's what Jesus expects. And if they want to recognize you one day and send you a gift card or put your name on a pen and you retirement, okay. But the fact is you did it out of a motive to please God. You know, there's a great Proverbs. Turn to Proverbs um, 27. Look at verse 2. Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. We've got to work not to toot our own horn. If we do something that's praiseworthy, then let others recognize it but not ourselves. But then the attitude should be, we should do it because we want to please Jesus. That's why we do it. And we're not concerned about the praises of men. And I'm telling you, because you and I are sinners, that's hard to do. Because of the pride that resides in all of our hearts. We want to be seen of men to being the good works that we do. And that's why I said, do something good and then don't tell anybody about it. And... uh, See how much you have to struggle not to tell somebody. Hey, you rescued somebody. 
that was hurt in a big crash. You actually pulled them out of the burning car. And you come home at the dinner table, you might have a tendency to say, you know what happened today? I was in, there was a big car wreck, and I happened to come by, and I, I pulled them out of the car. Good for you! You don't hear about it. Next thing you know is, there's a news broadcast. There's a, 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 a citizen that came out, pulled them by. They refused to talk to the press, and just went on home. And, and you say, did you hear about that wreck? Yeah, I heard about the wreck. You don't even say that you're the one that pulled them out of the car. But I'm telling you, it'd be hard to resist it, won't it? You want to, you just got to tell somebody. You see, that tendency is in all of us. And it's, it's magnified in, in, a, in a one sense in the Pharisees who, who did it to the condemnation of their souls. But I'm just telling you, it's in all of us that we have to watch. Well, there's another thing he says here. Not only in almsgiving, but in praying. How do you, how do you pray? He says, well, I'll tell you what Pharisees do. They go in and they go to the front <laughs> and, uh, to, be, to pray. Or they go on the street corner and he says they... And notice what Jesus says in the text. Look at verse 5 of Matthew 6. And when you pray, you are not to be as the hypocrites, for they what? They love. They love to stand praying in the synagogues and on the street corners. That's what they're craving, personal attention. They got their full reward. That's what you want to be seen in men. That's what you got. Did he impress God? Not in the least. And mind you, who we're to be impressed? It better be with God, because if you don't impress God, it's worthless. And then we see Jesus says, uh, in this regard, he says, when you pray, now notice, he says, go and and to pray in secret, and your Father who is in secret will repay you. Now, is there something against public praying? No. Some of the greatest prayers in the Scripture were public prayers. Solomon's prayer of dedication to the temple was a magnificent prayer done in public. It's not against public prayers as such. It's against the attitude of wanting to be recognized of men as praying. And then Jesus says, um, look at verse 7. And when you're praying, do not use meaningless repetitions as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Well, the most, uh, the most conspicuous of the Gentiles in the Scripture that were guilty of this were the Baal worshippers that had the confrontation with Elijah on Mount Carmel. Remember, the challenge was there, uh, the divided opinion of the people. Don't vacillate between whether Baal is God or Jehovah is God. And the Baal says, well, we'll just have a test. And, you know, whoever God does sanctions the offering, you know. And it says uh, they built their altars and the worshipers of Baal cried out. It says from morning to evening they cried out, kept praying, Baal, 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 hear us. But Baal didn't answer. 
See, and, and then Elijah comes up and says, well, perhaps your God has relieved himself. So wait till he gets back. And then perhaps you ought to yell louder. And it says they were yelling louder. It says perhaps you ought to cut yourself. And they were cutting themselves. Try to get God's attention. But it wasn't working. See, God is not impressed with um, showy prayers. Now, in Nehemiah chapter 9, we read uh, when... uh, Israel goes back into after the captivity in Babylon for 70 years. There's a great scene where the leaders of Israel get up and they shout out to the people and they're praying. It's a great moving scene. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. And what were they doing? They were confessing the sins of the nation that brought about the disaster. And they were asking God to forgive them. That was a public prayer. And they shouted it out to the people. See, it's not the public prayer as such, it's the attitude behind it. And then the meaningless repetitions. I guess the papacy is one of the most conspicuous here of the multitudes of Hail Marys that are said. I watched a ritual one time where they repeated the same line 75 times. I got to the point, I was pulling out my hair, I had to turn it off. I couldn't take it. That was meaningless repetition. And then look at verse 16. Like I said, we're skipping over the Lord's Prayer because he takes that interlude to talk about how we ought to pray. He says, don't pray like the Pharisees, but here's how you ought to pray. That's for next week's sermon. But look down, verse 16, because he, he picks up with the same idea here. He says, whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance in order to be seen fasting by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward. Now, what is the purpose of a fast? A fast is an act of worship whereby you appeal to God. Oftentimes, you confess your sin You want God to do a special act, and you you deliberately abstain from eating a certain drink in order to humble yourself before Almighty God. Actually, it is an act of self-denial. That's what fasting is. Now, turn with me to Psalm 35. Look at verse 13. Psalm 35, verse 13. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting, and my prayer kept returning to my bosom. I humbled my soul with fasting. We see in Second Chronicles chapter 20, King Jehoshaphat, Fasted in order to seek the Lord's favor. That's why you fast. It is intended to deny something in your life for the purpose of pleading with God to do something important. You know, perhaps we will see, you know, we've prayed for revival to come in our time. 
I think we need to pray more. And I think we need to fast. Genuine fasting. Genuine prayer. To beg God to do something in our time. I mean, that's what saints did in the past. That's what they did in the Scriptures. That's what others uh, would do. Uh, The Westminster Confession talks about solemn times of prayer and fasting. Why? To plead with God to do something important. And to show that we're serious, we're going to deny ourselves for that purpose of praying during that period of time. That's why we fast. All you have to do is go through and do a word study of fasting in the Scripture and see how important it is. But Jesus says, while it's an important aspect of worship, you better have the right attitude. If you're trying to do it, and he says you have a gloomy face, then he says that's not the right way to do it. Because remember, in fasting, you are denying yourself. So what does Jesus say? Go wash your face. Don't give any pretense so that no one knows you're fasting. You don't tell anybody you're fasting. You don't have the gloomy face of why are you so so down or why you look kind of lethargic. Well, I'm fasting for two days. Oh. Okay. Why did you tell them that you were fasting for two days? Try to get people impressed? Jesus says if that's your attitude, then God's not impressed. You got your full reward. People found out you're fasting. You know one of the greatest corruptions of that today? Again, it's in Romanism. You know how Lent season begins with Ash Wednesday. And it's a ritual whereby the priest... But the person goes and puts ashes of a black cross on their forehead. Corpus Christi, they actually had white faces you'd see around town. And one of the things about Lent was to deny yourself certain things, certain foods. But everybody knew you were fasting, right? Everybody knew you were at Lent. Because you got the cross on your forehead. It's kind of hard to pass up. And you go in there and sitting down at the restaurant, and everybody sees, oh, they're fasting. They're religious. See, that's what Jesus is condemning. Don't let anybody know you're fasting. That's the point. You're not trying to impress anybody. The only one you're trying to impress with fasting is God to plead with Him, to ask for forgiveness for your sins, and to do something great for the cause of Christ, but you don't do it so that anyone knows. Jesus says, God, who is in secret, will reward your fast. You know what kind of fast that really is honorable to God? Turn to Isaiah 58. This is most telling. Look at Isaiah 58, verses 5 through 7. Is it a fast like this which I choose a day for a man to humble himself? Is it for bowing one's head like a reed and for spreading out sackcloth and ashes as a bed? Will you call this a fast, even an acceptable day to the Lord? Is this not the fast which I choose to loosen the bonds of wickedness? To undo the bands of of the yoke. To let the oppressed go free. 
and break every yoke? Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor to the house when you see the naked to cover him and do not hide yourself from your own flesh? That is the fast that I want, God says. Not the sackcloth and the ashes. That's not my fast. My fast is that you minister to the poor. You do it with a sincere heart. You don't let everybody, you don't let everybody know you're doing this. You don't let everybody know what you're fasting about. And what are you fasting? For God to help you in the ministry to those who need to be ministered to. For the cause of Christ. That's why you fast. But don't let anybody know about it. And God, who sees it in secret, will reward you. He will reward you. But if you do it for the purpose of showing Men that you you are fasting, then he says you've got your full reward. But that full reward is not God's reward. So, as we conclude, why do I give? Why do you give? Why do you pray? Why would you fast? To do it to please and honor the Lord with a pure heart, sincere motives. And you don't care at all whether people see you do it or not. In fact, you may go out of your way so that people don't see it. That's how Jesus says, let your righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees. Because if that's, if that's what your righteousness is to be seen of men, you're not even going to make it into the kingdom of heaven. That is right.